welcome to another episode of Rewired Podcast. I'm Bailey. And I'm Kelly. And today we're going to talk about the Icarus Paradox and its uh, use in the wire. Yes. So to give a bit of background, we're going to go once again into Greek mythology, which is something we've seen uh, alluded to throughout the wire. So the story of Icarus is that he was the son of Daedalus. Daedalus and Icarus were trapped in King Minos' labyrinth. <laughs> and to escape, Daedalus constructed this pair of wings out of wax and gave them to Icarus. And he said to Icarus, don't fly too high. If you get too close to the sun, the wings will melt. Um, but Icarus ignored the warning. He did fly too close to the sun. The wings melted and then he fell into the ocean and he drowned. Okay. So there's a few lessons to learn from this Icarus story. The main one being sort of alluding to greed and that, you know, if, if it's like this, I guess, uncontrolled ambition to get higher and higher and do better and, you know, more and more. Yeah, which is um, kind of a way of thinking about hubris, which we talked about in season one, episode one of Rewired Podcast when we talked about McNulty the Tragic Hero. Right, and you can find that episode now back on iTunes. So it was off iTunes, it's back on iTunes now. Um, And that's right, so we talked about hubris there. The other interesting thing, and perhaps why we could think about it as a paradox, is that it was the very wings that brought Icarus that high, as, as too close to the sun, is what then, of course, caused him to drown. Yes. So that's why um, it's often referred to as a, a paradox. So what, what we're looking at today is, I guess in 1990, there was a book uh, written by Danny Miller, and he talks about the Icarus paradox in the, in the sense of businesses. And the traits that he lays out as being sort of the fall for a lot of these major companies actually can be applied to a lot of the same characters of The Wire. Right, and so he says there are specific traits that paradoxically create a business's success while then simultaneously leading to its downfall, which is uh, why it's um, compared to Icarus. So today, instead of looking at businesses, we're going to look at characters in The Wire and how they exhibit some of these traits. Right. Um, so one of the first, I mean, we, we're obviously going to talk about um, McNulty, but we'll come to him later. But I think one of the very first people that we see fall within the Icarus effect is, of course, Commissioner Burrell. Yes. And we think that Commissioner Burrell demonstrates complacency, which is one of Danny Miller's um, traits that he links to this Icarus paradox. And that's right. So the complacency for Burrell, I, you see it a lot. Um, it, and where it really became quite clear to me was in season three, as he sort of Hamsterdam happens. And Burrell, this Hamsterdam stuff by Bunny Colvin happens entirely underneath Burrell's nose. But he doesn't know about it. Right. And he becomes complacent because he believes he's he's the mayor's guy. Yeah, he thinks he's got suction with the mayor, he's doing his best to juke the stats, so he's like, it's all good. Little does he know he's going to end up taking a major hit over Amsterdam. Exactly. And, you know, it's interesting because as 
he starts getting questioned by Mayor Royce about, you know, how did this happen? And, you know, you're, you're going to take this for us. You're going to take it over for the team. That's also how Carcetti gets his in with yep. Chief Commissioner Burrell, right? Is he knows that to outdo the mayor, he's going to do it on crime and he needs somebody in his pocket. Well, and I think we see Burrell's complacency even back in season one when there's all these allusions to, you know, community policing, rip and runs. Mm -hmm. It's get dope on the table. It's not about actually um, solving major crimes or bringing down major drug kingpins like Avon Barksdale. So Burrell is complacent with the system if it makes him look good to the outside. Yeah, totally. Burrell also thinks that he, when he looks down to the low, like his next lowest rank, he sees Rawls. Yeah. And later on, when it comes to season four, um, they start to talk about dropping Burrell from the team. And, and they talk, you know, Royce is saying, you know, no, he's loyal, we're going to keep him. But when it comes to be Carcetti getting the mayor's position, he says, yeah, we got to get rid of Burrell. And they start to look at bringing up Daniels. And what happens is Burrell is blindsided by that because, number one, he thinks he's Carcetti's guy, and number yeah. two, he thinks they wouldn't skip below him to go, but, of course, they can't bring up a white police chief and a white mayor, so they say we need, we need another black face. So, yeah, anyway, interesting. Uh, the next interesting character that we have that kind of experiences the Icarus effect is, of course, Prezbaluski. Yes, so his trait that we see is specialization, according to Danny Miller. So do you want to speak to that, what specialization means? Right, so when Danny Miller talks about specialization, what he's basically talking about is that businesses become too entrenched in their own ability. They just get too comfortable being good at exactly what they do. But they are unable to adapt or change to external influences or changes or the times or whatever. Yeah, well, and we see from right at the beginning, I mean, Presbaluski is not a strong cop. No. But he starts to, under the, I guess, mentorship of Freeman, starts to become smart. And then he's all about cracking the codes. He's all about following the money. He has a real strength for, um, you know, the kind of more, I guess, data-driven points of policing. Mm -hmm. And he becomes really good at it, and he's starting to earn the respect. But, I mean, as you say, he is too specialized in that. He neglected all the other policing skills. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so then, you know, confidently chases down a fellow in the street and shoots him who happens to be an undercover police. Exactly. And there's a lot of um, preemptive signs that this will eventually become Presbaluski's downfall. And so, of course, another allusion, I guess, to Greek mythology is then the Achilles heel. We know that Presbaluski shows time and time again that he cannot be trusted with a weapon. We hear about how he shoots his own cop car and then calls it in and then finally it gets fine. His trigger pull is light when he fires it in the office. Yes. Can I stop you there? We should listen to that scene because it's such a great scene. You found us. Wasn't easy. You asked for these guys? Ask for more manpower. Have a seat. 
Sir, I... Uh, he was showing me the trigger pull on his Glock, and he was just... Detective? Officer Przbluski shot the wall, Lieutenant. Why? Why did you shoot the wall, Officer Przbluski? I was just showing Carve how my trigger pull is light, you know? I got it so it's real light. He took the clip out, boss. But not the one in the chamber. No, I forgot the one in the chamber. And, uh, well, shit. I'm sorry, Lieutenant. You want him to write on it? Write on what? You let one go, you gotta write. You gotta justify the use of deadly force. Against the plaster wall. It's an accident, okay? Give me a fucking break already. Your name is what? Przbaluski. From auto unit, right? Cantrell sent you. Not exactly. Lieutenant Cantrell, he uh, sent me to casualty section a couple months back. And I asked out a casualty. <laughs> you came here from casualty section? That is a great scene. And fun wire trivia, the only police officer in the entire series who fires a weapon is Przbaluski, and both times it's in error. Right. So again, it's like we're, we're getting led up to this, what is eventually his major Icarian, I made that word up, but whatever, downfall, and is a, you know, it, it is this epic, epic failure. Yes. Which then, of course, takes him to, to teaching. Yeah. And we don't really know whatever becomes of him. I mean, where season five leads us is that he's a, a well-respected teacher. Yes, and I would like to think that things end well for Presbo. You have a soft spot I for do. Presbo. I do. I love Presbo. So that's, that's Presbolewski's uh, Icarian. I, I can't, I shouldn't say that word because I made it up. <laughs> that's his sort of Icarus paradox. And... And again, it is this, like, what made him so good at policing is, of course, what actually makes him quite bad at it. McNulty, well, let's jump to McNulty. Yeah. He says a similar thing. So when in season, I believe it's the end of season three, when he gets to Beatty's house and he, you know, tells her he wants to be with her and he wants to get with her, he says to her, you know, the same things that make me great are the, at, for this job are the same things that make me terrible at everything else. Yes, that is also a really good scene because it's when he gives that speech that says, I poured everything into a glass and it's like everything just came out the bottom and I just kept on pouring. Yeah. So his um, Icarus sort of paradox is what uh, Danny Miller refers to as natural tendency. And it's sort of within that umbrella of overconfidence and complacency. But basically what Danny Miller says is that Humans have this tendency to exaggerate their own talents. Um, and in fact, so many executives even believe that they are above average, or above average intelligence, above average product, whatever. Uh, and that then what happens is that they misperceive events and they, they're unable to plan for the future and for things that could happen, you know, properly because yeah. they are just so confident. Yes. Well, and McNulty all along thinks that he's the smartest police in the room. Yeah. He thinks that he is above average in intelligence and capability and only he knows how to run the case. Yeah. 
fun Easter egg, and actually I don't know if I'm using the term Easter egg properly, but so you know Ed Burns is a producer and writer of the show. Yes. One of the creators. Uh, when McNulty is giving a speech about you know how he's real police and there are so few good real police, he's talking to Kima and he's had this fight with Lester where Lester says, you know, you're not even worth the skin off my knuckles and yeah. all that stuff. So anyway, McNulty's talking about how great of a cop he is. And he says, you know, there's a few guys here and there. And one of the cops he happens to mention that are the fictional cop in The Wire is actually Edward Burns, who is, of course, the real cop who contributed to the show. And also uh, in David Simon's book, The Corner, and Homicide Life on the Street. Sorry, not the book, The Corner, but the The, the show, book. The Corner. Yeah, the book, Homicide Life on the Street, Ed Burns is one of the cops that's written about quite in depth by David Simon. That's very interesting. Is it an Easter egg? I think so, yeah. Yeah, because you'd have to be in the know. <laughs> Did you start reading that book? Is that why you know that? No, I just went, I, I was, I'm just re-watching the show for the eighth or ninth time, and I noticed it. Uh, the book that Kelly's referring to, All the Pieces Matter, I'm going to start reading that really soon. I'm I started excited. it. I'm about halfway through. You have your own copy? I got the audiobook. <laughs> and I listened to it on the drive from Toronto to Ottawa. And it's super interesting. So if others of you out there are reading that book, let's discuss it on Twitter. Definitely. Anyway, all right. So we got distracted there for a minute, but natural tendency is absolutely the downfall of McNulty. That is his Icarus effect. And I think when I think about Icarus, there are a few huge literary examples. I think Gatsby arguably is an Icarus example. Yes. I'd say. And you said Dr. Frankenstein, mad scientist Yeah, the kind of mad scientist uh, trope, I would say, is an incarnation of Icarus. Mm -hmm. And so to me, uh, McNulty is quite an Icarus type. Although, what's interesting about McNulty is that it really is his overinflated sense of self that gets him... I don't know if he's actually achieving. Although they well, say, like, I mean, he's right to an extent that the case has to be done a certain way, and he was correct in season one that you need to do the wiretaps, and it's not just about street rips. Um, but then he so thinks that he knows how to run every case that then he starts, you know, planting bodies, and that mm-hmm. is his downfall. But that was his, you know, natural tendency, thinking that he knew what was best. He knew better. Okay, another person that you've got a real soft spot for is Ziggy. Oh, I, well, it's hard to say I love Ziggy. I just feel sorry for Ziggy. Mm-hmm. I think Ziggy's character really does speak to that part of all of us that is a little Ziggy-esque where you're, you're always kind of feeling like you're maybe on the outside of the in crowd and, and, you know, Ziggy really did want to be part of the cool kids. He wanted that hyper-masculinity. He wanted to be respected. Yeah. He wanted the gangster lifestyle. And it all goes back to his need for recognition. But he, unfortunately, is not somebody people respect. No, and the more he gets disrespected, the more that he has this boast and swagger about him to try to compensate. His wax wings are basically his sort of criminal evolution. Yes, which um, Danny Miller in his Icarus Paradox calls this trait exaggeration. Right. And so it's interesting because, of course, over and over and over again, 
uh, Ziggy is looking for, you know, how he finally proves that he is the person that he's exaggerated. It's interesting to me that, you know, we see him try to be a drug dealer. Ultimately, Nick Sabotka does better at him than that. Yeah. Um, and in fact, again, even though Ziggy starts to get a little bit of respect and success when it comes to drug dealing, it also is what gets cheese on him. And Yeah, well, and he never successfully really deals any drugs because he gives them to Frog and Frog rips him off. Right, Frog rips him off. He messes up the package. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so there's a number, you're right, there's a number of ways that the drug dealing doesn't work for him. So then, of course, his next caper that he comes up with is... The Mercedes. The Mercedes, which then... Or no, sorry, between that is the cameras. He comes up with the Mm -hmm. camera idea, which, I mean, it works out for him and Nick. Yeah. At first. And again, but it's Nick that's with him, of course. Yeah, so and it feels, doesn't get him the respect. Yeah, and he feels emasculated. Now, in tandem with the sort of high from the, the camera caper is his duck. Yes. And the duck also parallels the sort of high with becoming part of that in crowd. The duck gets him accepted. The duck makes him part yeah, of the guys. The duck gets him the attention and inclusion of the other stevedores and they want to talk to Ziggy and they start to think he's funny and he has they like recognize this wit about him um with the duck but in Icarus fashion he can't just let it go at having a duck and being interesting and funny then he has to get the duck drunk and like bring it over the top Exactly. And he kills the duck. And he does kill the duck. And then, of course, he's disrespected even further than he was before, even though the stevedores participated in this. Yes. So so the, the death of the duck kind of takes us to then this Mercedes caper, which is, of course, his attempt to not only one-up the camera caper, but also one-up Nick in general. Yeah, he doesn't even let Nick in on this one. Right. He does it with Jason and... Mm-hmm. And that's going to be his own thing. Yeah, it's going to be his own thing. So, again, exaggerating his uh, gangster qualities. And then when he gets cheaped out by George Glicus, let's... As he... Frog had ripped him off previously. Yeah. Because he doesn't have the respect. That's when he murders him, and we know how it ends for Ziggy. Yeah. All right, so next character that experiences an Icarus effect is, of course, Stringer Bell. Stringer Bell. And wanted to get out of the game. To me, maybe besides McNulty, Stringer is possibly the most obvious Icarus character in the in the wire. Yeah, I think so. Because he's driven. Um, well, I think you know, looking at Danny Miller's work, uh, Stringer has actually two qualities that bring him through this Icarus effect, which is that he has this illusion of control, as well as competitor neglect. So. The illusion of control, which uh, Danny Miller defines as having uh, that managers explicitly deny the role of chance in affecting the outcome of their plans. Mm-hmm. So Stringer just does not take into effect the fact that there are all these other external factors that whether or not he's the kingpin are still going to influence him. Right, and so Danny Miller says they believe that results are determined purely by actions they and their organization have taken. Right. 
which is like we see this with Stringer when he's trying to get into the condo development game and so he thinks he can just take over the process by giving money to Clay Davis and that's when Levy's like you got rain made you have to wait for a permit like everybody else it's kind of like a lottery system when you're going to get your permit you're not in control of that yeah exactly and then the other one is the competitor neglect which is where in making forecasts, executives focus on their own company's capabilities and plans, and then of course neglect the potential of abilities and actions of rivals, which ultimately leads to his downfall because he he looks at how you know he thinks he handles Brother Muzone mm-hmm. and in no way expects him to come back on him, even though Omar says to Brother Muzone, Worrying about whether you come back or not would be like worrying about if the sun was going to rise. So Omar knows Brother Muzon will come back, but Stringer never takes it into account ever again. No, and, I mean, competitor neglect, he's so wrapped up in his own business plans, uh, his own desire to become legitimate and get into the condo game, that he kind of forgets or doesn't pay attention to all the other stuff going on um, you know, Avon selling him out and all that. Yeah, exactly. And of course, the rise of Marlowe, who he can't control, and he thinks he's in control of everybody in the co-op, but he can't bring Marlowe into the co-op. No, he can't. So, anyway, I think, yeah, Stringer's Icarus thing, and of course, eventually leads to his literal death. Yeah, because... The reason he's in that condo that day is out of, you know, frustration of not having been able to control the permits or, um, you know, he was focused on that instead of focused on the outside game and wasn't being careful. And that's how Brother Muzon and Omar found him. And just like Icarus, the very wings that brought him to those heights. So his gangster abilities and his, you know, development plans, he dies, he drowns. In the condo development. Yeah. Just as Icarus drowned in the sea below him. Visual uh, allusion to Icarus. Definitely. So if we're going to talk about Stringer, we have to talk about Avon. And Avon also is is an Icarus character, but he loses out because of his absolute uh, dogma to the game. Yes. So let's look at what Danny Miller says about dogma in his Icarus Paradox book. Um, So he says there are perils associated with following a certain system, even a winning one for too long. Mm -hmm. And so when we get introduced to the Wire universe, Avon is like the drug kingpin. He runs the show and he believes the game is the game. It just is, you know, this is the way we've always done things. This is the way we're always going to do things. And I mean, he... His downfall is that he ends up getting arrested and going to prison. And it's partly because he wouldn't listen to people like Stringer that say, you know, the game is evolving. Yeah, exactly. And Stringer does try to do that a number of times with Avon and tell him that it's time to change up. And um, one thing that I think is a is a pretty obvious example of that is the Sunday truce. Yeah. Now, whether whether you argue yes or no this, to break the Sunday truce was appropriate, what Stringer recognizes is that he's willing to change up at all costs to make the ultimate, you know, to hit the ultimate goal, which is that, to have Omar killed. Yeah. 
Whereas Avon, you know, you don't break the Sunday truce. He is not willing to make any changes to the game. He, if he's going to get Omar, it's going to be through the traditional game. Yeah, never on no Sunday. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that is written here by Danny Miller is that uh, the market environment evolves and fresh competitive formulas, uh, if they become too rigid, you know, will lead to the downfall of a business. And so I kind of see that as like Avon is so dogmatic about East Side versus West Side and mm-hmm. keeping these uh, rivalries going that they're not getting good product and they don't have a connect anymore to sell their product. So exactly. Stringer, finally, when Avon goes to jail, is like, oh, I'm going to do the co-op. We're going to work with Prop Joe. We're going to get good product for everybody. And he says, the corners don't matter if what you're slinging is shit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, uh, they also sort of uh, refer to this active inertia thing, um, which is that, you know, yes, you're moving forward all the time, but you're continuing to follow the exact same patterns over and over and over again, which mm-hmm. ultimately lead to inertia. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, that's everywhere on the wire, following yeah. the, ba- the same patterns over and over again. That's true. Well, yeah, the whole, that's basically the whole story. Yeah. It's a cycle. Um, so anyway, so that is our thoughts about um, the Icarus effect. And there's a few other interesting allusions to it. For example, when Stringer does start to lose it a bit at the end, um, they're watching him on the camera outside of his office. And Sidner says, wow, I've never seen him smoke before. And uh, Lester says, yes, and he's pacing like a motherfucker or something like that. And he says, heavy is the head that wears the crown. Yep. And that's referred to again when Marlo starts to come up and he's got that guy that he knows in the rim shop who is sort of his old sage type of like older man. And he says, if you're going to take down Avon, you've got to be ready to carry the crown. Yeah. Um, exactly. So as they ascend on this plane of success, there are all these factors intrinsic to their, you know, personality or circumstances that will eventually lead to their death, literal, figural, or just downfall in general. Yeah. Okay. So if you are enjoying the conversation and you want to talk to us more... How can you, you do it? You can tweet at us at Rewired Podcast. You can send us an email, podcast.rewired at gmail.com. And we will be doing more polls in the days to come because we've gotten a lot of uh, engagement with that, so that's lots of fun for us. And also, we're going to continue loading our Season 1 of Rewired Podcast back up to, onto iTunes. So if you missed Season 1, it'll be there shortly. Yep. Okay, well, we'll see you next time. Way Way down down in the the hole. hole.